This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. On today's Moranalytics podcast, I will be joined by one of the best Buffalo Bills beat writers you will find anywhere. Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic is going to join me. Matt was on the podcast about a year or so ago, a little more than that. A lot has changed since then. At the time, the athletic Buffalo division wasn't even formed yet. That would happen not long after he was on the show. We'll talk about what this past year life has been like for him since joining the athletic. We'll talk some Buffalo Bills, his Bills Beat podcast with Joe B. And Matthew's getting married at the end of this week. This quite possibly could be the last time you hear from Matt as a single man. Also on the show today, I have my boy Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast, another installment of the Big Boy Theory. Today, we're going to discuss the Buffalo Sabres. Now that the NHL draft is over, I asked Jeff where he thinks the Sabres are headed towards when it comes to free agency, maybe a couple trades. Obviously, they got to do something to try to improve this roster. And we also have a discussion about Seinfeld which shockingly to many is a show that I never watched in the 90s. I just started binge watching it over the course of this past weekend. I'm actually almost through the first three seasons now. So I'm going to give him my thoughts on the show, what I think of it so far. And Jeff's a fan of the show. He's got some thoughts of his own. All that and more coming up. Before I get to that, though, want to let you know that today's episode is being presented by our friends over at Identity Inc., Identity Inc. is a Buffalo company that does embroidering, screen printing, all kinds of promotional products. They got everything. Trust me, they got everything that you could possibly need. My wife and I used them last year down here in Florida to design some cool t-shirts to wear to my son's high school football games last year. Bunch of parents that were sitting in the stands. They saw them. They liked them. They went up to my wife, asked her where she got them, got the information, and they ended up ordering them as well. An excellent local company in Buffalo that does great work. Go check them out at identityinc.com or follow them on Twitter at identityinc716. And on that note, let's do it. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? What's up? Welcome to episode 131 of the Moranalytics podcast presented by Identity Inc. Today is Tuesday, June 25th. Thank you as always for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, now is definitely the time to do so. 
I'm excited about this episode, man. I got a double hitter, two of my favorite people in the sports media on this show today. First up, I said it at the top, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic. I liked, you know what? I don't want to cut it short there. I was going to sell him short and say one of the most talented people in the Buffalo sports media. That dude has become one of the more talented people in sports media, period. Buffalo, Texas, California, doesn't matter. That dude is awesome, man. A a fantastic Buffalo Bills beat reporter. Man, did the Athletic ever do the wise thing by hiring him when they launched. And Matt was on this podcast over a little over a year or so ago. We were less than 20 episodes in. By the way, I've been dying to get him on for a lot of reasons. First of all, I just like talking to Matt. But more importantly than that, just so much has changed since he was first on the show. At the time, he was still at NewYorkUpstate.com. Not long after the podcast, the Buffalo Athletic formed their own division and very wisely got Matt to spearhead their Buffalo Bills coverage. It was it was a great decision. So we talk about that, what life has been like for him over this past year at the Athletic, how hard and difficult was it, a decision for him to leave where he was at to go there. Of course, he got to stay in Western New York, which I know is something that he wanted to do. So we talk about all that stuff. Also, he's getting married. Dude's going to be married in a, less than a week now. Handful of days. This might be his last interview as a single guy, man. He's about to be a newlywed. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And of course, we'll talk a little Buffalo Bills. You know, it doesn't seem like it because there's just been so much going on, especially with the hockey playoffs and the NHL draft this, just this past weekend. But we're like 72 days away from kickoff right now as this podcast drops. So that's going to come quick. So we talk a little Buffalo Bills, a little podcasting. Just a good interview, man. Again, with somebody who I consider one of the premier beat reporters in the game today. No doubt about it, man. Speaking of premier too, Jeff Boyd. I said it last week on Twitter. A lot of people agreed with me. I know Tim Graham from The Athletic retweeted it. He, he kind of echoed the same sentiments that I do. Jeff Boyd is as talented as anybody in the Buffalo sports media. Mainstream, non-mainstream. Don't care. He's good. He's got a great voice, a quality voice. You can hear it. He's one of the guys from the 716 Sports Podcast. He also does play-by-play for the Buffalo Buttes. For FC Buffalo, he does other things as well. Just a really good voice, really smooth-sounding voice. I really enjoy listening to him. But more importantly, beyond that, he's very knowledgeable as well. He knows what he's talking about. And he's got, I don't want to call him a funny guy, but he's got a nice wit to him, a nice little sense of humor that really, it packages well. So I reached out to him a couple weeks ago. I said, dude, I got to get you on the show. Not just once, like semi-regularly. We're going to have our segment. It's called The Big Boy Theory. We did it a couple weeks ago. I got him back again today. Going to have him on when there's a specific reason to have him on. And I had that today because I want to talk some Buffalo Sabres with him. He's kind of like my new Sabres guy. I'd like to know what direction his team appears to be headed in now that the draft is over. The guys they drafted aren't really going to help the team this year. I'm interested in knowing what the team might do to try to improve the roster for this season. Because as of right now, man, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm really confused. And I'm not the biggest... Sabres are hockey guys, so that's why I got Jeff, man. He's going to educate me a little bit because I look at a guy right now, I'm talking about Jason Bottrell, the GM, who's 
qualifying all these restricted free agents. And I get it. Maybe they don't want to lose them for anything, but these are guys on the roster on a team that wasn't good. And we're bringing them all back. I mean, are we going to run back last year's team? I don't know. Jeff does, or at least he has a much better idea of where things are headed than I do. So I talked to him about that. And then I also talked to him about Seinfeld, which I began binge watching over this weekend. I laid out a really ambitious, maybe too ambitious, even though I really ain't got shit to do. So I love to binge watch TV. I get to work from home. So a lot of times instead of putting on music, I put on a TV show in the background and I just binge through it while I do my work. But anyway, I'm trying to watch Seinfeld, Cheers, Frasier, and Friends all in one summer. I want to binge watch all four shows, never watch them when they were on for some, somehow, some way. It's just the way it worked out. With three of those shows, they were in the 90s. My assumption is I started bartending. I was probably drunk every Thursday night, so I never watched them. Cheers was more so in the 80s. I don't really know why I didn't watch it often, but I did it. It's not like I never watched the shows at all. I just never got into them. I'd seen a stray episode here and there or a moment that I would see, you know, on uh, or I read about in the paper or hear somebody talking about. I know a few things here and there, but I never really got into the shows. So anyway, I kicked that off this weekend. I'm almost through three seasons already of Seinfeld, which is a total of about 37, 38 episodes, something like that. Jeff's a big Seinfeld guy, so I'm going to talk to him about that. Other stuff as well. Don't want to waste any more time here at the top. Again, a double hitter of two really outstanding sports media guys on this podcast. Let's get right down to business. Here it is. I'm going to kick it off with my interview with Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic, followed immediately by another installment of The Big Boy Theory. All right, my guest today is the Buffalo Bills beat writer for The Athletic. He's also co-host of the Bills Beat Podcast with Joe B. and a dude who's really become a force in the Buffalo sports media. Had him on the podcast a little over a year ago, and I'm glad to have him back on today. Matthew Fairburn, what's going on, Matt? How you doing? Thanks for coming on again. Oh, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Pat. Hey, I got a stern warning, by the way, from your colleague, Tim Graham at the Buffalo News. He was on the podcast not too long ago. And we were discussing you and I was giving you some props, stuff like that. But I accidentally called you Matt Fairborn instead of Burn. And uh, Tim kind of laid into me a little bit, man. So uh, I got scolded by your boy. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, uh, a very common mispronunciation of my name, which I, uh, I remember I had a freshman baseball coach who used to always call me that and all my friends would rag on me. Uh, and I never understood it because it's a U and it's not an O, but that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll let it slide. <laughs> all right. So a lot has changed for you since we last spoke on this podcast over a year ago now, both professionally and also personally, you're getting married this weekend. First off, congrats, man. That's awesome. Oh, thank you very much. We're super excited. What's your nerves factor right now? Scale of say one to 10. How nervous are you? I know it's early in the week, but still, how nervous are you? I'm not, I'm not super nervous. Uh, it's more so I've said it to a few people. I'm more so like, uh, anxious about the fact that it's all going to be, it's all going to go so quick. You know, I don't want it to be over. It's been, uh, it's been a, all the buildup has been fun and I'm going to have, you know, all my family in from Massachusetts. So just trying to soak it all in and nerves haven't really, uh, factored in at this point. All right. I got to work you a little bit here. Got to try to score a Moranalytics podcast exclusive, a scoop here. 
What's going to be Matthew Fairburn's wedding song? What's your first dance? What do you got? Do you know um, Ben Harper? Um, Beloved One by Ben Harper is the song. Um, it's not, I don't think, a super well-known Ben Harper song, but um, but one we like quite a lot. All right, cool, man. I, I don't know that. I'm definitely going to have to check that out. And I'm more serious, though. Let me ask you this, man. You ever stop and reflect a little bit on how life turns out for you? You're a kid born and raised in Massachusetts. You go down to Missouri for college, and now you got a nice career going for yourself, and you're about to be married and living in Western New York. It's like life really kind of moves fast, going from Massachusetts to Missouri. Now, and you know, you're a Western New Yorker, and you've been a Western New Yorker for a good five years now. Yeah, definitely. You know, it does. Um, I definitely think about that a lot, and probably more so. You know, now with all the the life stuff happening, it it really feels like, you know, Western New York and Buffalo is, is home. And, you know, I, I imagine it will be for the foreseeable future. And, um, you know, I wasn't sure if that would be the case when, when I got here, it was kind of a, a trial thing. Um, you know, one season they would see how it would go and I had never been here. So I had no idea if I would like it. I had, you know, no idea what to expect. And now it, uh, I can't imagine, you know, anywhere else. It's kind of funny how, um, you know, a random place, uh, on, on the map basically be, became home. And it, I'd say the same thing about, you know, Columbia, Missouri, where I went to college, uh, you know, not a lot of people would, would pick that out as a destination, but by the time I left, it felt like home. So, you know, it's kind of all about the people and, um, you know, the, the types of relationships you form that, that make a place what it is. And, you know, this has become a pretty special place for me. So I want to talk about The Athletic for a bit. But before that, let me sing your praises a little bit. I want to give you props because I think you did an outstanding job at NewYorkUpstate.com. You really helped put that site on the map when it comes to Buffalo Bills coverage. Because to be honest with you, before you started working there, I had never heard of it. So job well done. And it's got to feel pretty good to you personally, on a personal level, to be a major factor on helping build and grow a site like that. You know what I mean? No, I appreciate it. And I would, you know, say that a lot of the the credit goes to Hank Doman, who um, at the time when I got hired, it was Syracuse.com. And then they started NewYorkUpstate.com right. and thought, you know, the bill stuff would make sense over there. So it was almost like we had to build it from the ground up a second time when I was working there. But you know, Hank Doman, my editor over there, first of all, took a chance on a kid coming out of college um, who had, you know, some ideas that, that matched up with his and he gave me the freedom and, and flexibility to do the job the way I thought it should be done. And uh, I mean, really, it's it's just a testament to Bills fans, uh, I think. I mean, you know, it's not a beat that maybe nationwide people would think of as a, you know, a spot to, you know, really, you know, make your mark, or so to speak. But they consume, you know, everything uh, with such passion that, you know, I don't think people cared where it was coming from. And that was kind of our idea to begin with. People are saying, oh, you're a Syracuse. I can't even tell you how many people still thought I lived in Syracuse yeah. and, and commuted every day. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, no, I live here in Buffalo. But like, you know, people were always confused. Why is Syracuse covering the bills? And it's like the Internet with the internet, it doesn't matter. You know, you could call a website, whatever you want. If it's, you know, you know, with Twitter and social media and everything else, if you just, you know, give people content that they want to engage with, they'll find a way to, 
to, to click on it and, you know, it, it becomes a, a sustainable model. And um, it's crazy to see, you know, what it became. And, uh, you know, it's funny to think back to, to that first training camp, which would be five years ago now. Um, and it was around this time five years ago where I was, you know, having my first day and all that. And uh, I feel like, you know, that the coverage over there has come so far since. It has. And, you know, I also should give some credit to Ryan Talbot as well. He's done a good job with you. And now he's doing a good job with Matt. He's put himself on the map as well. Now, lots changed for you professionally over this past year, like we've started to talk about here. Not long ago, after you were on this podcast, again, you were at NewYorkUp.com. At the time, it was announced you'd be joining the brand new Athletic Buffalo Division, along with former Buffalo News mainstays like Tim Graham and John Vogel, some other guys. I know you were happy at New York Up, and you did great work there, but having an opportunity to join the Athletic was obviously something that was too good to pass up. As much as you liked your job before, I would imagine, and maybe I'm wrong, that this wasn't a very difficult decision for you. No, it really wasn't. And, you know, I, you know, I talked about Hank Doman uh, a, a minute ago and calling him wasn't easy uh, to tell him, you know, but as soon as I, you know, called and told him, I, I had gotten offered other jobs before that one and, you know, ended up staying uh, because, uh, I really did enjoy working with those guys and they would always convince me to stay and, and they, they took care of me, but I, w- I called him and said, you know, the athletics coming to Buffalo. And he was like, you know, Oh crap. I knew it. Like, <laughs> right. and yeah. I, and he figured they'd come after me, which was, you know, he, when he hired me, he actually told me, you know, a couple months into the job that they didn't expect to have me long, which was kind of like a, a compliment. And, you know, he saw a lot in me. Um, and because of that, I almost felt compelled to stay and kind of prove him right. And, you know, kind of, you know, make a name for myself there. And uh, I think, you know, obviously the athletic calling was made it a pretty easy decision just because, uh, I knew who else they were kind of kicking the tires on who else I might be working with. And the chance to do the the job, the way the athletic does it is, a uh, is a luxury. And they didn't, you know, my, my, former bosses didn't even try to talk me out of it because they knew it was such a good opportunity. And, and that's when I knew, you know, because like I said, I'd been, I'd been offered some other jobs before and it was always like, you know, kind of going back and forth and, and they, they would tell me, you know, all these reasons to stay. But when it was the athletic, they said, Nope, just go. Like right. uh, That's a good opportunity. And we don't, we don't want to try to hold you back from that. You've become a big part of Western New York and the sports coverage over the last five years, part of the fabric, so to speak. Was it important to you when looking for your next opportunity that if all things were possible, at least anyway, that you would want to have a job where you were still able to to live in Western New York? Was that important to you? Yeah, that was definitely part of it. Um, you know, I've, I certainly looked um, in other markets and wouldn't have been opposed to it uh obviously you know my soon-to-be wife is is from here uh and you know we're very comfortable here but we've also kind of always been open to the idea uh, of other places but it was definitely uh super convenient that that next step came um you know here Uh, i think that was uh pretty important to us where we were. We had just gotten engaged. We're planning a wedding and, and doing all this stuff. It wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense to uproot our life. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, when I was sitting at my old job, it was like, all right, if I'm going to make the next step, where is that next step? You know, and 
if it's in the market, there's not that many options because it's not a huge market. And so for the athletic to come along was kind of perfect because it was, you know, a chance to work at kind of a, an up and coming outlet and, and do some cool work. And all the while my life didn't really change at all because I didn't have to move. And, um, you know, I obviously worked with different people and told different types of stories, but, you know, my day to day, um, is very similar and, and, you know, not having to uproot my life was a, a definite bonus. Now you're a Massachusetts guy born and raised. I feel like for the most part, Buffalo Bills fans pretty much from day one have treated you very well. Can't say the same for a colleague of yours, the departing Mike Rodak from ESPN. Good guy. I like him a lot. He's also a Massachusetts guy. And when he came to cover the Buffalo Bills, now to be fair, he came from covering the Patriots and was admittedly a former New England Patriots fan. But man, he got really crapped on by fans. They I don't want to say hate because that's a strong word, but a lot of them, well, it is true. Some did. He was not well received at all. And it definitely took him at least a couple of years for him to uh, kind of have Bill's fans warm up to his style of reporting a little bit. While with you, it was kind of a, a seamless transition. Do you feel like somebody like Mike Rodak just got treated unfairly, sometimes like really unfairly by Buffalo Bill's fans? Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was definitely unfair. I, I think, you know, when he got here, he would, you know, as in terms of like the difference and why maybe it wasn't the same for me. I mean, like you said, he covered the Patriots. And so that was sort of his frame of reference, I think, right. for a lot of things, which isn't a bad thing. He was holding the bills to that standard. Uh, but I think people took it the wrong way. And you know, that first impression kind of followed him, which was really unfair. I mean, not only was it unfair, but the way he was treated was borderline inhumane at times. I, I think like I've been out with him in public when people would say stuff and he's such a good sport about it and, and all that. But I imagine early on that type of stuff was, was not easy to deal with. And, you know, the, the tweets he get, he would get on social media. I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy to think about. Um, and I'm, you know, thankful that none of that's ever really happened to me, but, um, you know, I think, you know, definitely listen to that podcast because Mike was Mike at this point now that he's moving is kind of, uh, letting loose. And it was funny. We got so many tweets from people saying, Oh my God, I had no idea Rodak was so funny or so cool and all this stuff. And it's like, man, we should have had him on the podcast years ago to, you know, kind of clear the air and, and change his reputation a bit. But it was a, it was a good PR move for him on, on the way out the door for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm looking forward to hearing that. How's the past year been for you professionally at the athletic? I mean, you go there and you're working with Tim Graham, who's one of the best known, most talented writers in the market, certainly at the Buffalo news put a great team together. And it's amazing to me how far the athletic has come. It's only been out for three and a half years. You would think sometimes it's easy to forget. The athletic hasn't been around for 10, 20 years. You know what I mean? And besides the local stuff, the athletic has some of the best national writers in the business. Ken Rosenthal and Jason Stark, Jake Lazier, Richard Deitch, David Aldridge. I mean, I could go on for days. It's got to be a lot of fun for you to be able to work on a website like that. Going to work every day. Yeah, it's super humbling. I mean, you know, we've got a a big Slack, you know, channel or whatever that, you know, the whole that is company wide. And it seems like we're growing every day. They're introducing a new person, uh, you know, that's uh, being added, whether it's at headquarters or to the editorial team. And, 
you know, you see some of the names uh, that that get brought in, in in the various markets, and it's it's crazy. When when we were at the combine, there were fifty of us NFL writers there, and just you know, bouncing ideas around with with them and hearing the ideas that the you know the CEOs have for the company. It's it's really cool to be a part of something like that and something that you know you don't see companies like this come along uh, in media too often because um, it's not you know, the most stable industry, but, you know, to be a part of something that's growing as, a, as opposed to something that's shrinking and, and cutting back uh, is thrilling. It's, it's made the job what I hoped it would be when I was going to school and, you know, to work with Tim Graham, John Vogel, Joe Yurton, uh, Chris Baker. I mean, those are guys that, you know, Tim, I was, I was friends with before because he covers the bills a lot um, uh, in his previous job, but John Vogel and and Chris Baker and Joe Yurden, those are guys that uh, I had only really met in passing or, you know, in the case of John Vogel and Chris Baker, I hadn't met them at all and now consider them, you know, good friends. And so uh, I think that part of it's been really cool too. I mean, you know, I liked the people I worked with at at Syracuse.com, but none of them were here in Buffalo. And so, you know, to be able to bounce ideas around, you know, with Tim Graham, um, I think anybody would feel lucky to, to have that opportunity, regardless of how old you are or anything, you know, let alone the fact that I'm, I still consider myself a, a youngish writer. Um, and Tim's a guy I've looked up to for a long time. So to count him as a teammate, um, and to, you know, bounce ideas off, off of him and, you know, and he, he bounces ideas off of me. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. And it's been a a really fun first year. So when I had you on the podcast a little more than a year ago, everything was kind of still status quo. You were at NewYorkUpstate.com. Wasn't a lot going on with the sports media, but man, not long after that, everything went in a big whirlwind. You ended up at the athletic, a bunch of people from the Buffalo news exited for a variety of reasons, ended up all over the place. There was a lot of people thinking that the Buffalo News Sports Department was going to be completely gone, dead. Now, of course, the smoke is cleared a year later. Not the case at all. The news is fine. Everywhere pretty much is fine. But just a lot of changes. As you look back now, a year later or so, that was a pretty crazy time, man. It was like free agency for Buffalo sports media. You know what I mean? Kind of crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Uh, And there was a lot of uncertainty in terms of, I mean, like you said, I was you know, if I wanted to just stay put, life would have been good. It, you know, things would have continued as normal, which I was fortunate as opposed to, you know, some of the, uh, the other people involved who are, you know, dealing with buyouts and whatever else. But, um, to see all that happen, to see guys like Jerry Sullivan and Bucky Gleason, um, you know, leave the Buffalo news and John Vogel may be the most surprising, um, you know, because I think obviously everybody knew, Jerry Sullivan and Bucky Gleason uh, were controversial. Uh, I love right. both those guys, and I think uh, the media landscape is worse off without them. Um, but you know, you could tell that they were going to change the way they did their job, and those guys have a lot of pride in their columns and and didn't want to be kind of neutered in a sense. And so those ones, you know, you could see. But John Vogel, who I think maybe was the most popular guy at the paper or one of them, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't like John Vogel. Right. I mean, um, you know, obviously those other guys are, are great guys, but they, 
they have their uh, detractors, so to speak. But to see John Vogel leave and then to get, hear the whispers of the athletic, but not really know if it was coming, it was a uh, it was an interesting few weeks for sure. At a time period when usually we're all kind of you know exhaling and, and taking a bit of a break because you know the bills go dark for a while and um, you know the Sabers are in the off season. All of a sudden, it it turned the off season into a a pretty busy time, and and that was a an interesting month for sure. Were you a little bit nervous when you first launched? It was some people knew on the inside what was coming, but the general public didn't. And then bam, on Twitter one day it's out that you're joining, you know, the the initial gang of people that are working with the athletic. Were you a little bit nervous at launch? Yeah, a little bit of the nervous excitement, probably, you know, more so once we put the team together, I had a hard time seeing it not working. I mean the the timing of it was really good um, in terms of just everything that was going on. It was, it was time, you know, good time for a new media outlet to be in town and provide a little bit of a different voice. I know we all had worked here before, but um, you know, to have the backing that we had from the company and to have, you mentioned the long list of writers, um, you know, at the athletic, to to launch here in Buffalo, it, it just felt like the perfect market, the perfect group of writers um, to to get this thing going. And uh, I know that the people at the company were thrilled, you know, to the point where I think they were almost a little bit surprised, like what is going on in Buffalo, to, which is what I said, you know, goes back to what I said earlier of, you know, some people probably don't realize that the type of fan interest uh, and you know, audience you can, you can get out here because, uh, of the passion that, that, you know, people have for these teams. I mean, God forbid if they get good at some point, you know, what, who knows what it'll look like then. But, um, you know, I just think it was a bet on the fans, you know, betting on the readers, um, who've, you know, followed us for so long. And, um, it was a really cool week, uh, when we launched and, and it, we were finally able to talk about it because the two weeks when I, I would say the couple weeks, you know, when I couldn't talk about it were more nerve wracking than the launch itself. Sure. Got one more question here, kind of a sports media slash athletic question. And then I want to wrap up with a few Buffalo Bills things before I let you go. A lot has happened in the sports media and there's still more to come. If you read the newspapers or follow Twitter, everyone knows what's going on with Joe B, but it's not official. And I'm going to leave that to him to make it official at whenever he feels like doing it, he'll do it on his podcast or whatever announcement he makes. But let me ask you this. All right. I'm a big fan of the bills beat podcast. Lots of Buffalo bills fans really enjoy listening to that show in the future. Say come fall time, maybe can we still expect the bills beat podcast to be around? Oh yeah. That the, the bills beats not going anywhere. Uh, there'll be, uh, I'm not in, totally sure exactly, you know, where it will end up. You know, a lot of people have asked me, um, if it's going to be part of the athletics podcasting, uh, channel or whatever, or if it's going to stay on iTunes, I think that is still kind of up in the air, especially, um, they're, they're kind of slowly rolling out all that, but it's not going anywhere. Um, it, it's been, you know, great to see the, uh, the, the following that we've built there. And it seems like the audience is always growing and uh, I'm sure you can relate uh, with your podcast. That's just a pretty cool, cool feeling. And uh, we, we would certainly not want to, 
you know, just ditch it, uh, you know? And so I think that'll be, uh, safe to say you'll still be able to find that we're taking a couple weeks, uh, break here. Cause I'll be gone for a little while and, and Joe's going to be on vacation as well, but we'll be back with some training camp preview episodes and, and we'll be rolling into the fall as well. Cool deal, man. I'm all in for listening to the podcast, no matter where it ends up. Switch of gears here before we finish. A couple of Buffalo Bills things. Do you feel like this offseason has went about as good for Buffalo as you could realistically expect? Now, they didn't sign any sure things in free agency other than possibly Mitch Morse, but they did sign a lot of guys that fans can expect to contribute. They had Ed Oliver basically fall into their laps with the ninth overall pick. And they didn't really lose much at all from last year's team other than Kyle Williams retiring. Would you call this a good offseason? Of course, knowing that it doesn't always mean anything. It doesn't translate always to better success come September when the games count. But still, at least on paper, this seemingly feels like a good offseason. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it went well for them. I mean, you know, like you said, you you can't really predict exactly how it will all translate. And uh, I think the biggest off season addition they could have is an improved Josh Allen. And uh, at this point, it's still anybody's guess how much he'll improve if at all. Um, you know, it seems like he will, but you know, who knows, but they've set him up for success by getting him some weapons and look, John Brown and Cole Beasley aren't, you know, bona fide number one guys, but they're a big step up from what he had and the offensive line, the same thing. You wouldn't necessarily say Spencer long and Quentin Spain. And some of these guys are uh, complete studs. I mean, Mitch Morse, uh, I think would fall into that bucket, but you know, some of these other guys, they're at the very least capable, experienced veterans who are head and shoulders above what they had at some of these positions a year ago. And, you know, to build that infrastructure around Josh Allen creates an environment where he can take a step forward or, or, or that should be expected. And so, you know, now it's kind of on him, you know, to, to make that improvement and how big a jump he makes is going to be really hard to pinpoint during training camp. I know there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, hemming and hawing each and every day over every pass he makes, but it's going to be, you know, there's going to be highs and lows with this guy. It's not going to be uh, a steady, incline the, the whole way through the season he that's sort of the, t- the type of quarterback he's been and that's the way young quarterbacks are in general so we'll see what happens with him but I think as far as what they did in the offseason you can't complain too much I mean you can't sign everybody but it seems like they tried uh, and I don't think they have any contracts that really cripple them for years on the cap they're smart deals um, I think the one thing that didn't go their way obviously is injuries I mean Tyler Croft uh, maybe we'll miss the start of the season. Yeah. And uh, they had a bunch of guys banged up during the spring that hopefully they'll be a little bit more healthy uh, come training camp. But, you know, obviously it wasn't a super productive spring for that reason. But I think the additions they made and um, the way they're building this team sets them up. Uh, you know, I, I think fans should expect uh, an improved uh, product on the field. I know it would be hard to be worse than it was at times last year, but I think with some of the young players they have and the the veterans they added into the mix, um, it should be uh, a a pretty good group come fall. You mentioned the offensive line. It's not often that you go into training camp and the offensive line is at least arguably the biggest story to cover this summer. But here we are outside of Morris, who again, he's locked in at center. There's competition all across that offensive line for starting jobs and probably even 
backup jobs at this point as well. It's a little too early. I, I can't ask you how do you see things playing out when you don't have the benefit of being at training camp yet and seeing where they're lining up and if they're on the first or second team and stuff like that. But it's covering the offensive line. And again, maybe it's weird to, to say that, but something that you're really looking forward to covering this summer and seeing how things play out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people ask about the offensive line and I, I've had the same answer because uh, I want to see these guys in pads. I mean, that's probably the most important position to see them in pads before you pass any judgment. And that's why I'm looking forward to training camp at, at that position in particular, because we're going to get to see, you know, seven, eight, maybe as much as nine guys, you know, kind of making a push for either starting jobs or, you know, significant roles as backups. So I think, you know, that that's really such a crucial spot to watch because, you know, it's not so much about necessarily the, the names that end up in certain spots, but, you know, the improved play of that offensive line is going to be so important to Josh Allen's development. And it's going to be important to getting the running game off the, the ground again uh, after it was so bad a year ago. So, uh, if if they don't improve on the offensive line, it's hard to expect too much from the other areas. So I'll be looking forward to watching those guys, uh, and especially they've they've made such a point about you know bringing in physical nasty guys up front, and you really don't get to see that until pads come on and and you know real live action happens in training camp. So with this talented defensive line going up against this offensive line every day, it should be pretty fun. You mentioned running backs, and that automatically piques my interest because I listen to your podcast with Joe regularly, and for the most part, I would consider you a guy that you and Joe have conversations every episode, and you offer analysis on players and positions and stuff like that. It's not very often that you go on rants, I should say. Yeah, a rant, man, but you sort of had one on LaShawn McCoy. I don't remember exactly when, but it wasn't too long ago suggesting that the guy, the things the guy does are not the actions of a leader, which by the way, I completely and utterly agreed with you with. I thought it was a great rant. Yeah. You know, I, I think what sparked it was the Devin Singletary pick and the fact that when they, when the bills made that pick, they felt the need to make a point about LaShawn McCoy being the starter and LaShawn McCoy is not going anywhere. And you know, the, the treatment of LaShawn McCoy in that way has always seemed a little bit different to me. Uh, and that's sort of what, what sparked that. And to me, he should, the way he played last season, he should have to compete for his job the same way everybody else should. And at times he kind of embraces that, but a lot of the times he thinks, you know, his role is his role and his numbers are his numbers. And, you know, it all, it, it's often seemed like the numbers come before other things. And I know he cares about winning and, and that's important to him, but there were times at the end of last season that he wasn't happy when Keith Ford was getting carries. He was lashing out at the media at times. He got, you know, benched for, I think it was just a play uh, for one of their last games of the season uh, because of some of the things that he said uh, about, you know, not conceding any carries. Part of that is good as a competitor, Part of it is, look, Devin Singletary is coming into this room and it would be a nice benefit to him to have uh, a veteran like LaShawn McCoy, you know, show him the ropes a little bit. And when Sean McDermott, you know, 
and at the the owners meeting said you know that they brought frank gore in to bring some leadership into the running back room that was to me confirmation of everything i thought um in the second half of last season so you know that doesn't even get into everything that's gone on with him off the field and and, and all that so i think the the main thing is he played terrible last year and you know he's sending out tweets in the off season about the offensive line and you know, wanting to get some of those guys in here and really publicly throwing his offensive line under the bus and not taking a whole lot of responsibility for it himself. So we haven't heard from him in a while. I'll, I'll be interested to see, you know, what his, his outlook is with Frank Gore and Devin Singletary in the backfield. But I certainly don't think he should be handed anything. And, and that includes a roster spot. All right, Matthew, last question. Then I'm going to let you go. I know how busy and crazy this week is beginning to be for you. And I Really do appreciate your time. I just want you to give me a semi-bold, let's call it semi-bold, Buffalo Bills prediction coming out of training camp. I had Thad Brown on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him the same question, and he ended up arriving at second-round draft pick Cody Ford won't be starting on the offensive line in week one, if at all, during his rookie season. Not the biggest fan of him being picked in the second round. So anyway, I'm going to turn... That same question to you now, coming out of camp, and I know it's still early, but coming out of camp, give me something that's at least semi-bold when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. I'm trying to think what would what would classify as bold. Uh, a lot of people won't think anything involving Kevin Johnson is a, a sexy prediction, but uh, the, the backup cornerback they signed didn't get a ton of first-team reps in the spring, but the way that he played, I think he should push Levi Wallace for a starting job. And uh, Levi Wallace has been a pretty good player in his own right, but Kevin Johnson was one of the the standout guys, um, you know, in the summer for me or in the, the spring uh, from where I was watching. I'm curious to see what happens at wide receiver. Um, you know, if they keep a sixth, uh, I'm not convinced they will. Um, I, I don't think, you know, Duke Williams is going to be quite what, what people thought he was going to be. I think he might take a little bit more time and um, the boldest prediction would probably come at running back, but I'm, I'm not quite ready to, to, you know, stick my, my foot in the ground on that one yet. Yeah. We're only in June. That's more than fair. <laughs> Good stuff, man. All right, everyone. If you have not yet already given Matthew a follow on Twitter, go ahead and do so at Matthew Fairburn. And of course, subscribe to the athletic. It's better than ever. And they always got cool deals going on. Good specials going on. Thanks, man. Continue success to you, dude. And thanks for doing a podcast again. And most importantly, congrats on the wedding. Awesome. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That interview was brought to you by Pulse Cellular. Pulse Cellular was created to give a better option for everyone looking for premium wireless phone service for less cost with very straightforward plans, no strings attached, no confusing fine print, none of that BS that is often associated with other cell phone services. Pulse has you covered nationwide in the United States with unlimited talk and text, with premium fast LTE data plans, hotspot coverage, no additional costs in all 50 states. The Caribbean, Canada, and Mexico plans also include unlimited free 
Wi-Fi calls internationally when calling United States lines. Here's the best part. There are no credit checks. So if you don't have the best credit, you're not going to get shut out like you will at other places. There's no contracts if you don't want to do anything long-term. There are no overage costs. Like I said, none of that BS at all. Go visit PulseCellular.com. Find out for yourself. Read everything that's on there. Find out life is better with Pulse. Co-anchor of the 716 Sports Podcast. Very good Buffalo-themed sports podcast. What's going on, Jeff? How you doing? I'm doing good, Pat. We made it through the Monday here and now just ready to sit down and digest. A, it was a busy weekend for the Sabres. It was, and I want to jump right into the Sabres in the NHL draft from last weekend. Look, I know nothing about these NHL prospects before the draft, and I know nothing about them now that the draft is over. I am not a Sabres expert, so to speak. I kind of consider you an authority on the Buffalo Sabres. That's one of many reasons why I'm going to be having you on this podcast from time to time to talk Sabres, among other stuff. Anyway, I figured fans and media would be singing the praises of almost anyone taken with the seventh pick because, let's face it, it's a shiny new toy with lots of potential on a team that lacks talent, man. It's as simple as that. Anyway, they take Dylan Cousins, a 6'3 power forward, from all the mock drafts I've seen. And what I did, especially, again, because I don't really know anything about these prospects, is I went through and bookmarked a ton of mock drafts before the draft. And then immediately after the Sabres made the selection, I went back and looked at all these mocks. And it seems to me like Dylan Cousins is a guy that falls in line as early between four and five. I've seen in a lot of mock drafts and some as low as eight. I didn't see any lower than that. So it seems pretty on par with where most people expected him to be. Maybe he was expected to go a pick or two earlier. But anyway, what are your early thoughts on the pick Dylan Cousins? Well, Cousins is a guy who comes in and he's going to try to fill a lot of the role that, you know, really, I think they probably plan on Ryan O'Reilly being that guy. He's a good two-way center, certainly has some scoring touch, first ever first-round draft pick coming out of the Yukon way out there in the middle of nowhere, Canada. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's a big physical player, possesses the ability to be a two-way center, and that's something that really the Sabres are still looking for. You know, Jack Eichel is a very talented offensive center, but sometimes defensively he does get lost and a little bit out of place. You got Casey Middlestad as your two center right now, a smaller kid who's still developing. And maybe they figure that by bringing in a guy like Cousins, if he develops the way that they hope that he's going to, they can have a more physical presence in the middle there and then really build from the center out. Something we've seen a lot of teams who have been successful over the last few years do. The Pittsburgh Penguins with their center depth, the Chicago Blackhawks when they made their run, the LA Kings with the Anzaco are at the top of that lineup. Teams that have had those kind of little mini dynasty runs of late have had very, very good center death. And if he plays out to become the prospect that, again, you mentioned the scouting reports, how highly a lot of these scouting reports had him, he could be a very key piece as either you know a two-center or a three-center, depending on where you, you rank him in middle set a couple years down the road. I think mainly because the Sabres have been so historically bad in recent years and they've had first or second overall picks that we haven't had to wait long for a lot of these guys to hit the main roster. Sam Reinhart, I think he had to wait a year. Eichel, Darlene, they went right to the Sabres immediately. Middlestad only spent one year in the minors. When it comes to Dylan Cousins, what do you realistically expect his time window to be before, if things go well and he plays up to his potential, before he's up with the Buffalo Sabres in, in the NHL? 
Yeah, Jason Botterill has shown that he has no interest in rushing prospects along. There are a couple of guys who come to mind over the last couple of years, whether it's Nylander or Pilot, who have shown very strongly. Olison, another example, who has shown very strongly in the system, and he has kept them down. He has shown that in his time in Pittsburgh, that he wants to keep people developing and coming up through the system together. I would be very surprised if you see him at all this year, and I would be surprised if you see him at all next year. I think he's probably two years before he's on this team. I think by next season, there's going to be a lot of rumblings on Sabres Twitter about, you know, why isn't this guy up on the big club like we heard with Olofsson almost all year long here. Uh, but Botterill has shown that he is intent on letting these guys develop in the farm system. Now, the only reason I could see that changing is if this turns out to be another rough season and Jason Botterill's feet are to the fire. Maybe he tries to get Cousins up here next year trying to showcase that he's getting the right talent coming to the system. But I think you're probably two years away from seeing Cousins in a Sabres jersey. Okay. So I picked 31. They take Ryan Johnson, a defenseman. That is a pick, of course, that they got for Ryan O'Reilly. So the final tally of that trade is Ryan O'Reilly for Berglund, Tabaka, Tage Thompson, and now Ryan Johnson. Two questions here. What is your take on that pick? And also, and perhaps more importantly, are you a little bit worried or concerned that this kid is going to very, very, very unfairly have that Ryan O'Reilly label attached to him because he was the draft pick that they ended up taking in that trade, of course, O'Reilly wins the Stanley Cup, the Conn Smythe Trophy, all those, all that stuff. Are you a little concerned, a little bit at least, that Ryan Johnson unfairly is going to get a big-time label stuck to him? Oh, it certainly could, and I think we saw some of that this year with Cage Thompson, who's a very young player still developing. Almost feels like he's kind of growing into his body like a little baby deer out there on the ice when you watch him skate around with those long legs. But the O'Reilly trade is a really unprecedented thing. O'Reilly's now the first player to ever be traded and immediately in the next season go on to win Consumite Trophy. And, and you mentioned it, Pat. He cleaned up, and he was all over the NHL awards, and everyone's going around sharing the picture of him with all his awards last year before the draft. And right. The Blues just tweet out the picture of him, and like, oh, we don't have the 31st pick where we have this guy. I, it's, it's absolutely possible that people are going to, Johnson's going to have to come out swinging or people are going to immediately be like, oh, wait, this is the first round pick we got for Ryan O'Reilly. Hopefully he's got a strong will and won't let that kind of stuff get to him because every player has those kind of growing pains and learning pains when getting into the league, especially as a defenseman. I think even more so than a forward, it's harder to learn how to defend at an NHL level. I feel than it is sometimes to learn how to, to score at an NHL level. But he's got a good pedigree. He's going to the University of Minnesota. That's a great program they have there. Again, a guy you're probably a couple years away from seeing him in a Sabres jersey, um, same way that when Casey Middlestat went to the University of Minnesota to develop. But they need more defense, especially if you're looking down the road when eventually guys like Zach Bogosian and maybe Marco Scandella come off the books. They're going to need that next wave of defensemen to come in and fit that role. And behind Pilot and maybe Will Borg, you'd be looking at Ryan Johnson to be a guy who's in your top four for the indefinite future. Let's hit on a non-draft topic here. It appears Bottrell's qualified all the Sabres' restricted free agents from last year, at least the ones who played regularly, to prevent them from becoming unrestricted. It's a list that includes Johan Larson and Zegmas Gergesen, to name a few. He also said that he had zero intentions on using any buyout options for this season. Now, help me out, man. Again, a non-expert Sabres guy here. Help me understand this. It sounds to me like, for the most part, Maybe they're going to swing a trade or add a free agent or two. But for the most part, it's almost like let's run it back. The same roster as last year if they keep all these guys. Am I wrong to think that management right now has decided 
that they can expect good improvement with Ralph Kruger as head coach. And just maybe this is an organization right now that likes the current makeup of this roster more than fans and a lot of the media do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it seems like plan number one is just get a new head coach in. And plan number two is rely heavily on the new core of players. Now you've, they're qualifying Larson and Gergensons. I don't think you're going to see both of those guys on the opening day roster, but the changes are going to come from within the organization. I think that Otterill looks at Victor Olofsson, Alex Nylander, Pilot, Borg, and those kind of guys that are coming up as he thinks, I think he believes that they will be the change in the lineup. Um, as far as not doing any buyouts, the Opozo buyout is pretty brutal at this point. That's a huge hit. If they could sit on it for another year or two, right. it becomes a little bit more palatable. I mean, this is a team that's still paying Cody Hodgson at this point. So they don't want to go ahead and dig themselves a hole for another few years on a, a buyout for Kyle Oposo. And Sabatka's only got another year left. So I hope that he doesn't see anywhere near the kind of minutes that he saw last year. But keeping him on the payroll and just absorbing that this year while you still don't have to pay Rastus Valdeen, while you're still on the bridge contract with Sam Reinhardt. It's not as bad this year as it's going to start being next year because if they can get Reinhardt locked up to a deal with the Eichel deal and the Skinner deal and the five and a half mil to Risto, who is for all signs not going anywhere anytime soon, the teams that were linked to him have made a bunch of moves not involving him. I think that they really do plan on just bringing in Kruger, seeing who was affected negatively by Housley, who has something more in the tank. And then next year could really be a bit of a fire sale if a guy like Ristolainen or Nylander comes out this year with a new coaching system that's for the players, let them utilize their skills, and they're still flat as can be. I think that Botterill is going to run out of excuses to keep some of these guys around past this season. Do you think that because they hired a new coach, that Jason Botterill while maybe his seat might be a little bit lukewarm, it's not really that hot. And short of having an absolute colossal failure of a season this year in 2019-20, that Jason Bottrell won't be going anywhere after this coming season? Oh, I think absolutely. It's going to be tough for him at this point. I think that if Kruger flames out in the next year or two, I wouldn't be surprised if Bottrell goes along with him. Yeah. But... I think there's some patience built in here. I don't think that you hire Kruger to change the culture and change the system and just give him half a season and say, well, this isn't working because nothing else has worked. I think at some point they just got to kind of stick with something for a little bit and hope. Now, Housley was just so bad. They kind of had to abandon ship on that, but get him in here, give it a couple of years. But I I think if, if Kruger turns out to be another failed hire, I have a hard time believing that Jason Botterill sees another head coach for this team um, before they look to just changing the whole regime. I think the optimistic part of me wants to say that when it comes to the Buffalo Sabres last season, that I put a lot of it on the head coach on Phil Housley and that I don't think this roster was really that bad last year. They certainly weren't as good as they played early on, but they also weren't as bad as they were the second half of the last season. I feel like some of the players might've kind of quit on Phil Housley a little bit. It just felt to me there were times last year where this team did not give full maximum effort. And I could go back if I wanted to look at the schedule, look at the results and cite many games where they were just lifeless. So the point I'm trying to make is maybe they have more faith in this roster that it could be pretty good as is maybe adding a guy or two and developing some of these younger guys a little more 
with a better head coach than Phil Housley, which again, I think a lot of last season, again, the optimistic part of me at least, puts a lot of the failures of last year on Phil Housley. Yeah, well, they didn't say it in as many words, but if you string a lot of their comments together, I really got the impression that they maybe didn't quit on the team, but quit on the coach. I think a lot of those players had no intention of playing Phil Housley's system and no intention of winning games the way that he wanted them to. And sometimes there was enough talent, whether it was just you know some of those games that Skinner and Eichel took over, to just win those games anyway. But I think at the end of the day, you had a coach pulling in one direction and star players pulling in the other direction, and they just were not on the same page. And when things started spiraling, that really added fuel to that downward fire, and they got buried in the standings as quickly as they climbed during that 10-game winning streak. I think that there's reasons to be hopeful as a Sabres fan for this team for next year. The Eastern Conference is a really, really competitive conference. I mean, you look at the first two picks of this draft are New Jersey, who drafts number one and then trades for P.K. Subban. And then you've got the Rangers, who are adding pieces left and right, and they draft second, a guy in Capococco, who's very promising wing prospect. Even the teams that are having bad seasons are looking pretty good, but for me, even if they're a playoff team or not a playoff team, isn't necessarily how I live or die by this season. I just want to watch the team play a game and not feel like they're mailing it in the third period 70 times a season. It's been hard to watch some of these games. I just want a good three-period hockey team. And if they win more than they lose, great. If they lose slightly more than they win, but I can tell that they're like they're growing and becoming better together, that would be enough for me this year. Not saying I don't want to see playoffs. It's been far too long since I've seen playoffs here for this team. But I think that just seeing a good, consistent team would be a good building block. If they can bring that mindset into future seasons, there's so many young players on this team who are locked up for a long time. The step guys are trending back upward. And I think that Kruger has the tools to do so. And I hope that it works out the way that it's been designed to. One more semi-Sabers related thing here, man. Tuesday, as this podcast drops, the NHL will be announcing its Hall of Fame class. Do you think that class should include Alexander McGillney? My first thought was no. But then I didn't realize that I looked at the stats. He had 473 goals, over 1,000 points. 211 of those goals came with the Sabres, by the way, and had a 55-goal season. And, of course, that crazy 76 goals in 92-93. Tied for fifth mm-hmm. all-time with uh, Dennis Avard for 53rd all-time in goals scored. Sorry, tied for 53rd all-time in goals scored. He's been eligible since 2009. I didn't know that either. Do you think that this is the year he gets in? I'm looking at the list right now in front of me. And Daniel Alfredson's on there, Rob Brindamore, Patrick Elias, uh, Theo Fleury, Curtis Joseph, Jeremy Roenick, to name a few, Pierre Turgeon, Keith Kachuk. Do you think he deserves to get in? Do you think this is the year he gets in? I think he definitely deserves to get in. I don't know if this is the year he gets in because you have to have a lot of very theoretical discussions about which of those players that you think are slightly better than the other. And there's some really good names on that list. Fleury, Roenick, Kachuk. I think that I have McGillney as a Hall of Famer at some point for sure. If now his stats, you mentioned that's the 76 goal season, which is just ridiculous what yeah. he did in 92, 93. But as, as much as it is about him being a great hockey player, it's as much about what he did for Russian hockey players, the way that he came over and carved a path, showed that it could be done to the time where it was not done. If you ever have a chance, and I would encourage anyone who doesn't know to read the story about how he became a Buffalo Sabre and how he worked with with Don Luce and all of the craziness that went on in getting him physically over here to the United States. He was the first of a generation of players. And you think about the great hockey teams of the 90s, the, the Red Wings with guys like Sergei Fedorov. Begilny is the first step 
to breaking into American professional hockey and not just doing so, but putting up, you know, 473 career goals, a thousand career points as an offensive dynamo. I think for sure for me, he's a hall of famer, but I don't know that the hockey hall of fame. I, I mean, I think guys like Daniel Alfredson are absolute shoe wins. I think that Roenick should be a, a shoe win. It's tough to look at those guys and say, who is, where, where, do, where do you have the cutoff line? Who is just above? Who is just below? Whether or not, whether or not it's this year, it's hard to say, but I think he gets in for sure at some point. I read a column on NHL.com earlier before we taped this segment, kind of making a good case for McGilney, comparing him to Paul Correa and making the claim that if Korea's in the Hall of Fame, McGilney should be as well. So I'm certainly hopeful that he gets in. We'll find out later today. Anyway, switching gears before we get out of here, man, I actually want to talk about Seinfeld for a second. I know you're a fan of the show and don't get too far ahead of me, man. All right. Because I'm only about three seasons in. I'm two episodes actually short of watching the first three seasons. I was hoping to be able to get all three seasons in before we taped this, but I felt too short. I literally have no clue how things play out as the series goes on. This is my first time binging through it. I am learning as I go through this right now that it, I could see why now it's an iconic show. It started a little bit slow and borderline boring for me, but I'm really starting to get into it now. I could feel it catching its stride here in season three. What's your take on that show, man? What did you love about Seinfeld? So for me, it's just the everydayness of the show. A lot of sitcoms like that, as funny as a lot of them are, and there's a lot of really high quality sitcoms that have existed over the last 25 to 30 years. The thing about Seinfeld for me is it always feels like that could be someone that you know. And the way that it's framed, and I know I've been following along with your your tweet through of going through the episodes as you have, that you've mentioned like, well, like Jerry's not your favorite character. I don't think Jerry is mostly anyone's favorite character. It's just kind of watching his crazy friends through his eyes and his life and just, you know, average people doing average things, not outlandish, just living everyday life and just some absolutely timeless pieces of humor. I know you just get, you got through the, um, I read your revision correctly. Just got through the Keith Hernandez episode, which is one of the first really true classics. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good. (laughs) I think you're right. I think from memory, my memory, the nineties, man, it's filled with alcohol. I'm going to be honest with you, but I think the reason why I didn't watch, originally back then was because of Jerry Seinfeld, man. I just found him really annoying. His voice, his character kind of just goes through me, but I've kind of learned by watching it so far. I I still sort of feel the same way, but he has grown on me. But like you mentioned, it's it's, it's a supporting cast of characters that really are making the show awesome for me. George and Elaine are amazing. I like Kramer too. I've only seen Newman, I think twice in the series so far, but he's funny. And I know that he's got a bigger part going forward because I remember hearing that name a lot. It's just a really good cast. And like you said, it is everyday life. And this isn't, uh, this isn't a, a bad, this isn't a negative. This isn't a criticism of the show, but so far from what I've seen, there's no true, like move the needle episodes, like say in the office at the end of season two, it was all built up towards Jim confessing his love for Pam and shooting his shot with her. You know what I'm saying? All the episodes kind of led up to that. Whereas Seinfeld, it's like a bunch and with, this is the way it was back in the day with sitcoms too, for the most part. They're all one-off episodes. They're not one, you know, one episode leading into the next with these big, long story arcs. And I kind of like that, especially because you don't see that so much in today's show. Of course, I'm binge-watching something from almost 30 years ago, but that's one thing about this show. A lot of one-off episodes, not a lot of continuing story arcs. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, and they, and they do get better. Once you get into season three, this the the first couple seasons are a little rough, like the five season five episode first season where it's a lot of stand up cutaways and it's really a show about yeah, you know Jerry like and right. his stand up bits and stuff. And it really starts to develop when you get to season three and into the further seasons into you know there's so much going on. All the all the characters, all the main four at least have something that they're doing. It all kind of ties in together. And as you get on, there's a little more callbacks, a little more references to each other, especially when you get to the final couple episodes where, you know, everything really comes full circle. But yeah, it, there's definitely not like those build up. It doesn't hit as hard emotionally as something like the office does, um, where it's got those big moments with Jim and Pam and, you know, Scott's tops and things like that, where they really try to play at the different emotions a little bit, but that's kind of what it is. It's just, you know, goofy. You take a look at something that, you know, the, they call it the small parts of life, you know, just look yeah. at something that you think about briefly and you blow it up to a whole episode and everything comes back to it. I'm a big fan of Curb Your Enthusiasm. I did watch that from the start and I could certainly see why Larry David, the creator of the show, also the creator of Seinfeld, I could see the similarities between his character and George Costanza. Again, I like all the characters, but for me, George is the runaway winner for series MVP when it comes to Seinfeld, at least at this point anyway. I don't know how the later episodes or the later seasons are going to play out. But George, to me, right now is the most must-see thing about Seinfeld. And they do have, all four of them have just great individual character arcs. I think if you like George now, you're going to continue to like George. I love Kramer, especially as it goes on. He really starts getting comfortable in season three with a little bit of the the craziness and the absurdity of the character. And and Elaine continues as well. Jerry is almost just like the, the place, not the placeholder, but he's the everything is happening around him and it's just his world. And you watch all these characters go off in these crazy adventures around him as he reports it all to you. But I, George is just fantastic. And as you get on, it just continues to be so And his, and his family, as you get to meet his parents and everything, just the whole, the whole craziness of the Costanza clan. One of the things I like to do when I go back and watch an older show is look for cameos or one-offs in episodes from people, maybe before they became big stars I'm three, three, almost three seasons in out of Seinfeld, and I haven't seen a lot of those yet, man. I seen, and I wrote these down in some notes as they happen. A dude who was the guy who was chief of medicine, Doctor Kelso on Scrubs. He was on an episode in season three. There was Tawny Katzen, who was the the chick from Witchboard and Bachelor Party in the '80s. She was on an episode. Catherine Keener was on one of the latest episodes that I just watched. She played Jerry's kind of psycho girlfriend, who was also an artist. That was a woman who was Steve Carell's love interest in the 40-year-old version. As the show's going on, and you don't have to give me specific names, can I expect more cameos and before they were big stars, one-offs like this? Yeah, so the, the so part of the, part of the problem with that, too, is by this point, like so many of the people who were not big then blew up after the show. But the one guy who does stand out that you probably haven't seen yet, I don't think, is uh, there's a couple episodes with Brian Cranston in it. Brian Cranston from Breaking Bad. Oh, um, really? Is kind of a character who appears in five or so episodes, if memory serves. Hmm. I'll definitely watch out for that. I, I don't know what it is, man. I just like to go back and when I watch old TV shows, I like to look for actors who are on them before they were stars, like when they have small roles on a specific episode, something like that. So anyway, let me ask you this, all right, about Seinfeld. Would you put it on? The Big Boy Theory, Mount Rushmore of all-time TV shows. I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. I didn't tell you ahead of time I was going to ask you this or give you any pre-show, pre-taping notes, anything like that. I'll give you a quick second to think about it while while you do. Mine, for me, 
is, well, The Office is an easy choice for me. That's definitely one. Happy Days would be another one. If for no other reason, it was the first show that I ever really remember watching and liking. So that would probably be on there. Definitely The Sopranos. And despite a lackluster final season and an unsatisfying ending, at least to me, Game of Thrones has to be on there as well. It's just a revolutionary show. It's typically not the kind of thing that I get into, but it just reeled me in. Love that show. So that would be mine. What's yours, man? Is Seinfeld on there? What's your Mount Rushmore? Seinfeld is definitely on mine. Um, Arrested Development is on mine. That's a good one. Futurama is on mine. And the fourth one is real tough. Um, good. I watch a lot of just like goofier yeah. things like I think I'm something a little more serious that I really enjoyed, but I like, I, no, I did like prison break a lot. Prison break is an awesome TV show. That's probably on there for me. I never watched that. Maybe I should add that to my binge list as well. I have a very, by the way, overly ambitious summer binge wish list. I'm going to attempt. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, but I'm going to give it a shot. Seinfeld, cheers, Frazier, Friends, all four of those, I've never really watched them. I, I saw a stray episode here and there. I know some plot points, some things that might have happened on those shows, but I never actually watched them. So my summer goal, if I could find the time, is to binge watch all four of those shows. Again, it's kind of overly ambitious. Did you watch all those? I'm probably most wary of Friends. I think I'm probably going to like that the least. Did you watch all those shows? I've watched a lot of Friends. I don't think I've seen every episode, but I've seen probably at this point by, on syndication. I would watch Seinfeld in syndication when I was growing up, and they always had Friends on immediately after, so I'd watch them back to back. I like Friends. Not to the same level that I like Seinfeld, but it, 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 it holds up pretty well to me still. Um, didn't really watch Frasier and watched a very minimal amount of Cheers. That's cool. All right, last thing, then I'm going to let you get out of here. What do you guys got going on over at the 716 Sports Podcast? Your new episode will be dropped today. In fact, go check that out, everyone, after you're done listening to the rest of this episode. What do you guys got going on? So after you know, what we talked about about the Sabres, our big conversation tonight is, you know, do we think that Jason Botterill is the guy for the job? Do we believe in the vision that he has for this team? Where do we see the Sabres going down the road? Do we think that Rasmus Ristolainen, who looks like he's going to be here, is he really going to develop into a key piece under Ralph Kruger? And then we're going to take a little bit of a dive into you know NHL free agency, and we'll recap this past Sunday's FC Buffalo contest because they're back home um, in front of us here this upcoming Saturday night. I'm definitely looking forward to giving it a listen. All right, everyone, follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Had a couple of connectivity issues today with Skype, so we had to switch over to cell phone at about a couple minutes into this interview, but it all worked out. Good stuff as always. Always fun talking to you, Jeff, man. Appreciate you. No, awesome, Pat. It's great to be on. All right, everybody, that is going to do it for this episode. Big, big thank you again, Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. Also to Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast. Love those guys. Coming up on the show Friday, I'm going to have Marcel Louise Jacques, brand new Buffalo Bills beat reporter for ESPN.com. He'll be taking over from Mike Rodak. He's going to be my guest. We'll get to know a lot more about him. Guys, if you have not yet done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. When you subscribe, new episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone, your computer, laptop, iPad, whatever it is that you use, literally within just seconds of the release. That's always the benefit 
of being a subscriber. You're going to get the new episodes before anyone else does. We usually have new shows every Tuesday and Friday. Don't forget to take a quick second and rate and review the show as well. I say it all the time because it really holds true. Doing that really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. You can also subscribe to our semi-new YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube, type in Analytics Podcast, hit the subscribe button there, click that little bell next to it so you get new notifications when content is released. Got highlight clips from current and past episodes there, original audio content. We'll have some videos and stuff up there in the coming weeks as well. Last but not least, do not forget to follow me on Twitter at at Moran Tweets. Thanks again for listening. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I'll be back with a new episode on Friday. Again, Marcel Louis Jacques. Have a good week. We'll have plenty to talk about. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.